When I was young, I learned that love was all about romantic comedies, Valentine's Day, chocolate, and flowers. A lot of capitalist heterosexual BS. Now I know that real love is ferocious, it's terrifying, and it's a catalyst for change. I'm Ethan Lipsitz, and I created Love Extremist Radio as a platform to engage with people who are on the front lines of wrestling with and redefining love on their terms. They're activists, artists, and creators, all making change in their communities and the world. Thanks for being here. Together, let's define what it means to be a love extremist. Love is the truth. Love is the truth. Love is the truth. Love is the truth. Doug Cartwright is the CEO and founder of The Daily Shifts, an online company dedicated to inspiring lasting transformations of the mind, body, and soul, and author of a forthcoming book, Holy Shit, We're Alive. As I'm sure you can tell from the title, Holy Shit, We're Alive is not another boring, enlightening self-help book. Instead, Doug shares his unusual journey from self-made millionaire at age 24, devoted Mormon, family man, and how he had to lose it all and go down a rabbit hole of self-discovery, world travel, heartbreak, meditation, and love to find his true purpose and happiness. Doug, you use my favorite word, love <laughs> in in your yeah. discovery and I, I i just would love to start there what does love mean how do you define that word um that's such an interesting conversation because i feel like so many people believe that love is something outside of themselves um, and what i've learned to discover in my journey um, is that i feel like our natural state as human beings um, our natural essence is love. But what happens is as we are young kids and as we grow up, we experience tr pain, we experience trauma, we experience setback, we experience heartbreak. And what that does is it creates blockages over our heart and it creates walls, right? And now we then act in our lives out of protection mode rather than love. And so to answer your question, you know, what is love? I would say that love is our natural state. And what happens if we're not brought up in a loving environment? Because I, I, I fully hear that and I, 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 I love that. But I also see so many peers who weren't raised in love. And so from right. the jump, maybe even before they were even born, they weren't raised in a loving environment. How, how do we, how do you <laughs> kind of see that side of, of the equation? Yeah, I think we all have trauma. I mean, I don't care where you were born, where you're raised, what your situation. Some people experience way more intense trauma and experiences, but we all experience it. And one thing that was really eye-opening to me was I remember, I feel like I was raised in a very loving household and I'm very grateful for that moment, but I've experienced what I've kind of coined as like positive trauma. Mm. And what my positive trauma was, was, you know, as I got older, I realized how rare it was that my mom and dad had a very beautiful relationship. I never saw them argue in person. My dad showed affection to my mom. They were really deeply in love. My dad ended up passing away in 2011 to colon cancer, which was devastating within itself. But I remember one time, and there's two different directions I want to go here, but I remember one time, I, the first time I ever sat down in therapy um, when I was 27, 
my therapist was like, Hey, what's your trauma? And I'm like, Oh, I don't have any trauma. And she just kind of, she just laughed. Right. Um, she's like, okay, yeah, we'll see about that. Um, but when I going back to positive trauma, like even though my parents had such a beautiful, loving marriage and I was, I was raised in a safe home, what it was instilling in my head was what relationships were like. And it created positive trauma to me because when I would get into a relationship with women in my you know, mid twenties, if we had any sort of disagreement in my head, I'm like, oh, this isn't the one, she's not the one because I never saw my mom and dad fight. And so I would disregard the situation really quick and it wouldn't allow me to learn through some of this conflict. And it, was, it wasn't until later, uh, many years later, I asked my mom, I'm like, mom, I never saw you and dad fight. Like, did you guys ever argue? Like, she's like, oh yeah, we argued all the time, but we just never did it in front of you kids. And that created a warped worldview for me. And so even if you believe you had a really loving childhood, you probably still experienced some trauma. And really when now if I've really explored the personal development space and the spiritual space and the trauma space, every single person experienced trauma in some way or another, right? And it's really just doing the work, like I originally said, like I think our natural state is love and I think it's our duty and responsibility as human beings to actually remove the blockages that are blocking us from experiencing love. Wow. So, so you brought up a really important point that we speak out about a lot, a lot here, which is the value of healthy conflict. And I actually yeah. believe healthy conflict is an integral part of love. So it's interesting how you speak about that kind of lack of conflict in your family life growing up and how that actually need, maybe was missing. And there's kind of trauma yeah. not having that. How did you learn to engage with conflict in a healthy way. And this may segue nicely into more of your journey. Yeah, it was just, I was always the peacemaker, right? Because I never experienced trauma in, in any way. And what I actually really learned the power of conflict, um, it was actually from one of my best friends um, who, who had a similar you know, childhood of an upbringing. And then he got married and then went, a, a difficult divorce hmm. and I remember asking him like hey what did you learn in this divorce and he was like honestly I learned the power of like of healthy disagreement right like I was always trying to fix the problem rather than going through and engaging these conversations um, trying to make everything good but it was actually really beneficial to actually hear the other person's out and to actually express yourself and be true to yourself and stand up for yourself and how that actually equates to healthy conflict and then you can actually find a solution to the problem together rather than a me versus you mentality. And I actually learned that from one of my best friends and I'm really grateful for that lesson. That's beautiful. Can you speak to a conflict that you've had in your personal life that you've had to work through? And I, I know there's probably a bunch, but yeah. Um, what's one that stands out as kind of a big lesson opportunity for you? I think, you know, really for me, what I'm working on, even today, I had this moment happen of, of speaking my truth and like having the difficult conversation. Mm. Right. And so often than not, we want to like, we don't, we try so hard as a society not to offend people and not to rub the wrong way or kind of like, you know, but I've had people that I'm working with that are working on, I mean, I've got this book launch coming up and it's really big and I'm trying to go as big as I can. And my personality is like, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it. And I have people working on the project that aren't showing up, mm. that are letting me down, aren't hitting deadlines. And normally in my past, you know, as a peacemaker, I'd be like, oh, it's okay. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Like, yeah, whatever you need. 
But today with like a close friend who is working on the project, I had to have a conversation to be like, hey, it seems like you're not as committed to this as I would hope you would be. Do I need to be worried about you showing up and, and fulfilling on your duties? And for me, that's a really big deal because in the past, it's like I would have a really difficult time having that conversation, especially with someone that I love and care about. Yeah. That's so really... stand, standing up for yourself and speaking your truth is a big thing I'm working for right now. Yeah. And I think there's something really powerful in the way you approach that conversation, right? Like you really looked to understand what's going on with you. How can I support you? And if you can't support me in this moment, I understand, but we need to get this done. Right. And yeah, I think kind of having that compassion of like, you know, I, I'm, I'm leaning on you, but if you're not able to show up, like I need to know that. Yeah. <laughs> So. Yeah, and it was funny just because the, the the conversation ended today with this friend. It really was just like, hey, I love you and I want to support you. But it's like, let's make sure we're aligned here rather than coming at it with like resentment and accusations and name calling. Totally. And that's such a powerful tool for management and just like healthy conflict, right? It's like, I'm looking yeah. out for us both. And, you know, we got to be real about, you know, what we're trying to accomplish here. So that that's yeah, really powerful. Totally. Can you speak a bit about the book and the journey and, and kind of yeah. your, your story? Yeah, it's, it's a wild thing. The Holy Shit, We're Alive book is, it's, I felt like I'd lived in a movie for two years. And really what the crux, and I think a lot of people relate to, is I found myself in an experience, what I call the success void, right? In my early 20s, I found uh, sales, direct sales, and I became really successful at it really young. By the time I was 24, I had made a million dollars in this industry. And I had all this money. I was this young kid. I was a single bachelor. And I was, you know, anyone who gets a ton of money in their early 20s, I did exactly what you think they would do. <laughs> First stop was the Mercedes dealership, right? Like, give me the C63 AMG. Like, here's 100 grand on the car. I'm a big sports guy. So I'm like fl- traveling around, going to the NBA finals, the college football playoffs. I found myself in Arizona one weekend for the Super Bowl, going to a VIP Drake concert and buying bottle service. And the next day, I'm in, the, I'm in Dan Snyder, who owns the Washington Redskins. I'm in his private suite with Kevin Durant watching the Seahawks play the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Like it was, I'm living this dream of any 20 year old. At that same time, I was going on a couple of dates with the Miss runner up of Miss USA. And it was like, what else could I possibly want? You know, Mm. on paper, if I were to give you a resume of my life at that point, it would look very successful, you know, traveling the world, cars, sitting first class, the trips. But I had like this really, deep void in my life. Like something was missing. And what was interesting is that I would run into people as I'm like staying at these nice hotels and sitting first class where I would like run into people that felt like they just had this magnetism of success and they, they just were beaming with love and beaming with joy. And have you met someone like that? You know what I'm talking about? Of course. Yeah. And and I've been, I've been in that space personally uh, at times and it's incredible. Yeah. 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 And so I would run into these people in these experiences and I'm like, these people, they're in on a secret. Like what secret, what do you know that I don't know? Like I'm having the experiences, I'm going to the events, I'm meeting cool people. Like I have, I mean, I didn't have like crazy, I didn't have like private jet money, but I was like, I was doing very well given my circumstances. Yeah. And I would meet these people and I'm like, what do you know that I don't know? And it was really conflicting for a lot of time. And I really felt like I was missing in on this like secret all these people were in. And then, you know, for 
a big part of my life in my early 20s. It was actually kind of scary because I didn't really know where to go or what to turn to. And where the story gets really, really juicy in the book is when I started coming across studies that involved psychedelic medicine. Mm. And that really opened up the door. And like, I remember, I'll never forget it. I was reading a book called Stealing Fire. Mm-hmm. And that book is all about, I don't know if you've heard about it, but it's about flow state. Yep. Like how to get into the zone, how to find flow. And that doesn't matter if you're an athlete or a musician or whatever it may be, but you know, finding the flow where you perform your best. And in that book, it gets to a point where they start talking about psychedelics. And, you know, I grew up in upper middle class, uh, east side of Salt Lake City, Utah, white Christian conservative Mormon, you know? Yeah. And so in this bubble, and you know the conception is that all drugs are bad and if you do any drug one time it's meth and you'll die and you'll be hopeless don't ever i mean so it's just like this big blanket we put on drugs that were this big scary thing and i remember reading stealing fire and they quote steve jobs when he says you know doing lsd was one of the most profound experiences of my life mm-hmm. and that really hit me i was like wait what like <laughs> here's steve jobs who ch- literally changed the world this incredible artist and entrepreneur and this icon in our life that created products that changed the way we live. And he's attributing part of his success to working with psychedelic compound. And I remember being like, there's something here. Hmm. And shortly after per the universe, per the coincidences of the universe, shortly after I was up at this, uh, uh, party at this cabin up in Eden, Utah. And I got offered to uh, try a psychedelic compound. And so I have this experience on June 10th, 2017. And for those that you know, to pick up the book, I, I go into much detail on, on the story. But my first experience with working with these compounds was so profound. It completely shattered my constructs of reality and belief systems and that night literally felt like I was transported into another dimension that opened up this whole new door inside of my mind. And it left me so vulnerable and raw and intrigued that I continued uh, down the path later to go work with deeper medicines um, such as ayahuasca and whatnot. And then really to dive into my trauma. Like I started working with therapists and psychologists and, med- and hired a meditation coach. And I took this two year sabbatical where I just traveled the world and met with experts in their field to heal myself and learn to really what I was doing. The whole intention of the show is what I really was trying to figure out was how to love myself. Mm. And so the book, Holy shit, we're alive is my journey and my exploration and my nuggets and my takeaways and my gems of this incredible adventure that I went on. Well, Doug, I so resonate with your story and the journey Mm. that you've been on as someone who um, also has spent a bunch of time on top of that mountain in Eden and also has, has suffered a a crazy diagnosis. I, you know, have brain cancer and Mm, um, kind of identify as this lifelong seeker and, finding um, medicine in so many different journeys, whether they be actual plant medicine or, you know, searching through teachers or uh, vacation and and travel or other types of um, kind of embodiment practices. How did this lead you to the daily shifts, which sounds like something very different than a journey? It sounds much more like a routine. 
if it's daily, yeah. right? It's something that's much more integrated into the daily life. Yeah, and I think that I learned this from my, I learned in my career as a salesman that your daily habits and rituals and mindsets really affect your outcome. And so it, that was very much when I was in my type A mindset. Um, now I'm in a different mindset of working with uh, trauma and working on personal development and spirituality. And I realized there wasn't anything in the space to help me on a daily basis. Cause I was saying, it's like, okay, if I'm going to go do, if I'm going to go sit with these therapists and these psychologists and these meditation teachers and do this psychedelic medicine, if I'm not going to make any changes on my daily life, it's not going to matter. Right. Right. If I'm Integration not going to do the work, yeah. right. If I'm not going to integrate it, there's no point of even doing it. And so I had these such incredible, profound uh, perspective changes and paradigm shifts. And I'm like, I need to create a tool that anyone can use wherever they are in their life as a reminder, as a tool and technique to help you get grounded, to help you get back in touch with yourself, to help you get back uh, in alignment with your intuition so you can show up in your life as your best self in work, in family, in your career, in your community. And so the Daily Shifts really is a platform of daily integration. That's so powerful. And it's funny because it, it really aligns with the project I'm working on right now called Camp Death, um, which is cool. specifically focused around kind of confronting mortality as a path to more life. But so mm. often these journeys are kind of check-ins with mortality, right? We go and we kill our ego or we, we disassociate from what is quote unquote normal life to discover meaning and purpose. But then that integration point, it's almost like a New Year's resolution. It, it wears off over yeah. time. It's really hard to hold it when our daily forget, life is not yeah. that. Yeah. 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 So I love that. So, so t tell, t tell me how it works, though. So this, this is kind of a daily process of kind of supporting people. You're, you're sending out kind of various practices. Is it much? Is it really about kind of writing or, or meditation? How do you approach daily shifts? Yeah, so there's kind of different levels, right? So I ha I do have, there's one-on-one -on -one coursework that I work with clients. I have a master class and a workbook. Um, it's a great place to start. So, you know, another uh, issue I saw in the marketplace was like, these conversations seem to be happening more often, right? Like more prevalent, more people are, are becoming more self-aware. And a lot of people are intimidated by the space, right? They've never done personal development or done self-awareness work. And so this is a very much a, a starting place. Okay, this is where to start. You want to get in, Maybe this is before you actually do actual therapy or working with psychedelic medicine. So, okay, where do you start? And this is a very great place to start in integration. So I have a master class and online course for that with a workbook. And then the app itself is your daily reminders. And in the app, we focus on a lot of things, but in particular, we focus, there's breath work exercises, there's goal setting exercises, there's meditation exercises and gratitude practices as well. Um, and really what, what, what really happened, what really sparked all of this was in my journey of self-discovery, the biggest discovery that I made that I needed to work on was that I realized that I didn't love myself. Yeah. <laughs> right? That's it. And I didn't love myself. And so I wanted to incorporate tools and techniques to learn to love myself. And that's what a lot of the daily shifts is. But what I realized that was so profound was I didn't love myself. And I asked myself, okay, what don't I love about myself? And, and my first thing that came to my mind was I grew up as the fat kid, 
right? Mm. And I said, I hate the way I look, like something is wrong with me. And I told myself a story that something was wrong with me and that I don't deserve love. Mm. And it started in second grade when a kid at recess made fun of me. And so in second grade, I then took on this identity that I'm the fat kid. And because I'm the fat kid, I don't deserve love, mm. right? I have to earn it. And then it's interesting how later in my life, in my early 20s, um, I made a ton of money. And so I finally, for the first point in my life, had an asset of, of money, right? Mm -hmm. And so when I have an asset, I now have to go out into the world, right? And show you and validate myself why I'm worthy for love. So I would spend extravagant amount of money on girls and first dates. I'm really just screaming, like, please love me. Please, please validate me. And having that awareness and that breakthrough that I didn't love myself and then starting to learn to work on myself was really the, the most pivotal moment of my life. And in my book in chapter seven, I go into and I talk about, you know, the title of that chapter is self-love is a superpower. Ooh, yes. You're speaking the love extremist language with that one. Yeah, I want to, I want to yeah. pause and then I have a deeper question on that one. Um, but just want to reset yeah. the room. We're talking to Doug. I'm talking to Doug Cartwright, the CEO and founder of the daily shifts and the author of Holy shit. We're alive. Uh, we're talking about his journey and work and we're now on the subject of self-love. Do you have a practice that you do on a regular basis oriented around cultivating self-love in your life? Yeah, I spend time at least 30 minutes every day on something I like to do just for fun. Wow. Can you right? can you With share the, some of the things you like to do for fun? Yeah. So recently, I'm a big sports guy, and I've been loving the NBA playoffs. And I watched the NBA finals like last night. And what I do is it's like, okay, this is a ritual for me. I get enjoyment and entertainment from the NBA playoffs. So I'll actually turn off my computer, I won't do any work emails, I won't be thinking about work, and I'm fully present, and I'll watch the game, and I'll, like, have, you know, I love, I'm a big popcorn guy, so I'll eat popcorn and watch the game, and I'll be fully present, and it's, like, almost like a reward for myself, mm. so that's one thing. Another thing is, I love science fiction novels. Like, I'm reading this <laughs> book by Andy, Andy Weir right now called Hail Mary, and okay. it's incredible. Nice. Super fun, and it's, like, can I take these little mini moments of what I call recess, right? Remember when we were kids, we'd have recess. We get time every day to go out and play basketball or throw the football or be outside and run around and hopscotch. And we took these breaks every day just for fun. Yeah. Right. And so every day I incorporate a ritual of recess and it usually looks like, you know, for me, I'm a big sports guy or reading, or sometimes it's like, Hey, I'm going to go on a, a walk at the park and leave my phone at home and just connect with nature. Cause that feels like that's something just for fun. And so I make it a really big priority that every single day I'm spending at least 30 minutes on something that I want to do that's just for fun, that isn't to become the better version of myself or to do self-development work or to like better my business or, you know, it's just something that Doug likes to do because Doug's a really cool guy and I should explore that. I love how you've reclaimed recess as a place of potential trauma when you were made fun of in second grade to uh, yeah. a, a platform for personal, just, um, you know, having fun. Yeah. As you said, self love. Yeah. yeah. Self love practice. It's one of my favorites. I call it the perfect day exercise. And, mm, um, when I got yeah. sick, I was challenged to find my perfect day. And then in, you know, the ingredients of that day, you can integrate into every day. It doesn't have to be something crazy. It can just be having a coffee or like you said, walking in the park or taking a break yeah. to watch a, a sports game or read a book. It's, it's, it's really potent. Yeah. And I think what's, what's important to recognize there is that 
we all have access to that. Like, it's not like you mm-hmm. need to go outside yourself to know what you like. We have preferences. Right. We have things we enjoy. We know what we kind of like to do, or maybe we can discover that pretty quickly. And just carving that time is really crucial. So that's beautiful. And, and one thing that I've learned too in sharing this practice is that, uh, and I'm a victim of this as well, is a lot of times we feel like um, we don't deserve it or we're not worthy of it or that we beat ourselves up because we could be doing something else, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, like, oh, I can't watch. I mean, there was one day, this was like three weeks ago, my schedule opened up. I had like three appointments in a row canceled and it was like two o'clock in the afternoon. What a gift. And I'm like, I'm going to watch, uh, I'm going to watch a movie on Netflix at 2 p.m. And my initial thought was like, oh my gosh, there's something else you should be doing. And I beat myself up for it. Like, I didn't feel like I had, I had earned it. Yeah. And I think it's really important to say like, you know, to, to be kind to yourself, be easy on yourself, enjoy this version of you and stop beating yourself up overtaking these simple pleasures. And that's one thing that I've gotten feedback from that a lot of people deal with that. And so I would just encourage those listening that they're going to take on a self-love practice of don't beat yourself up for it and you don't have to earn it. Yeah, that's huge. You don't huge. have to earn your self-love practice. You you deserve your self-love practice just for being alive. Mm. That's so huge. And having that personal sovereignty. And I think also recognizing, you know, if we can't be comfortable doing something, we can find other things that we can be comfortable doing, right? And it, it doesn't have to be something that's two hours long. It could be something that's, yeah. start, you know, start with 10 minutes and get, you know, move from there. I'm curious yeah. if you think we need to go through darkness to get to light. Mm. I don't believe that. And so, and the reason I don't believe that is because, like I said at the beginning of the call, is I think our natural state is love. But I do feel like at the same time that going to the darkness sparks someone to go find the light, right? Sometimes we get so far off the path and so far away from truth and and God and light that it does take a dark moment for us to have a wake up call. And so for a lot of people that are really off the path, going through a dark night of the soul is necessary for them to remember who they really are. And for me, that's what I needed, right? I was so asleep at the wheel and so disconnected to anything spirituality at all that I needed to have this wake up call. And shortly after getting into doing my uh, personal development work with plant medicines and other forms of other modalities of healing, I went through the deepest, darkest depression of my life. And in the summer of 2018, all of these uh, experiences that I had been suppressing for so long came to the surface on top of having, you know, this woman who I thought was the love of my life was going to be the mother of my children. And we're going to live a happy life together, broke up with me out of the blue. And for the first time in my life in the summer of 2018, I experienced suicidal thoughts. Mm. Wow. No, the idea, the idea of taking my own life seemed like relief. Like I, it was my ticket out of these, of these crazy neurotic thoughts I was having in my mind. And I needed that dark moment to dig myself out. But for a lot of people to answer your question, I don't think it's necessary. You don't need it, but it's definitely will kickstart you and help you find light. If you do get too far off the path. How did you move through that period of kind of suicidal ideation? Yeah. So I had this aha moment, um, 
when I was, I was, I was in a really dark spot. I was in my, doing my old job, which was a door to door sales company. That's what I was doing. I was living in this little apartment in Little Rock, Arkansas, doing a, a shift, a summer shift of selling these products door to door. And I was just like in a really dark spot. And I had this aha moment because I was so sad that I was, I got dumped by this girl. I was so sad. Mm. And then I realized I'm like, Oh my gosh, I don't need this woman to love me. I need to love myself and I don't love myself. Wow. I need to learn to love myself. I need to control what's controllable. I can't control the weather. I can't control the marketplace. I can't control what friends or people think about me or people, places or things, but I can control my effort. I can control my internal state. So I then made a list. I'm like, okay, what are things that I, when I do them, I feel better. And what are things that I can control? And I made a list and I said, okay, I can control how much I sleep. When I am well rested, I feel better. I can control what I eat. When I eat, you know, really healthy whole food diet and avoid sugar and alcohol, I feel much better. When I meditate, I feel immensely better and I can control if I do that. If I spend time in nature, I feel much better. When I listen to positive uplifting audio and music, I feel better. When I journal, I feel better. So I made a list of things that make me feel better and things that I can control. And the ones that were on both lists, I started doing them every single day. And in a roundabout way, this is really in a sense that sparked the building of the daily shifts as well. Yeah, I, I relate so much to what you're saying. I also just want to kind of ask for those of us who may know what will make us feel better, what we can control, but have a really hard time getting there have a really hard yeah. time getting off the couch or out of bed or away from the screen to go outside or to have that food that we know is better for us. How yeah. do you, how do you help motivate people to take that step and, and, and do the meditation or do what they know is good for them? Yeah. I think, you know, you can't force anyone to do anything they don't want to do. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think giving a giving yourself grace and realizing it's a process. And if you do slip up and don't do everything every single day, that's okay. But I've learned, you know, in my career, in my life that you're either going to do it when it's too painful to stay the same, or you can do it now. So you'll have a point in your life where it'll be easier to go do that work, right? To go do the self-healing work, than it will be to stay the same. And so for, and for some people, we, I just don't know when that's going to be, you know, I, I don't feel like I ever would want to feel like to motivate someone to go do that work. I would hope it would be like an, an invitation. And then when someone does go do that work, they see the benefits of their life and they see that they live a more fulfilled, happier experience when they do, you know, what meditate or eat healthier journal. And hopefully that will inspire them to take that on as a, as a, a full-time habit. Right. Yeah, I really grapple with this as well because it's yeah. it it's comes back to that question of healthy conflict, right? We have internal right. conflict. And how do we get to a place where we are actually able to confront that instead of running from it or avoiding it? And to me that all comes back to basically kind of the recognition of mortality. And for some, you know, mm -hmm. mortality is something we we avoid, we run away from, we're afraid of. And for others it's a catalyst, it's a motivator. Do you feel like your relationship yeah. to mortality shifted through this journey and, and, and your practice and, and the things that you've been discovering over the last few years? Totally. I mean, hence the title of my book, right? Holy shit, we're alive. Of course, yeah. Um, 
I think what really made the change was instead of fearing my death, I'm actually really excited about death. And not that I want it to happen anytime soon. Like hopefully it's, you know, 50, 60 years from now, but death is fascinating to me because one thing, you know, we're all going to die. Everyone in this clubhouse room is going to die eventually. (laughs) Right. And there's only one of two things that are going to happen when we die. Either the lights are going to go out forever and we just won't be there. Like there won't be consciousness there to be aware or something is going to happen outside of my physical body. And that seems really exciting to me. And so this idea that death is coming up doesn't scare me or cripple me, but it's also a reminder of like, okay, cool. Everyone is going to have that experience free of charge. Like everyone is going to find out the answer to that, which is really cool. Um, but also it's like, okay, cool. That's looming. What am I going to do before I die? Because I do have this little stint and you really, if really, if you think about it, like planet earth is 5 billion years old, meaning earth has gone around the sun 5 billion times. I get to experience probably about 80 of those. (laughs) I get 80 of those trips. So what am I going to do before this is over? Because life happened before you were born and life is going to happen after we die. So we, it's almost like we're just visiting like, it's like we're on vacation. We have this little 80 year gap of 80 trips around the sun to have like this little vacation. How am I going to maximize my human experience and get the full enjoyment of life? And then eventually like everyone else, we're going to figure out what happens when we die. Yeah. Which is exciting. This delicacy of the body, right? We have it yeah. for a limited time. It's so, so powerful. What, what yeah. are you, what's your current challenge? What's something that you're grappling with now? Um, that, that you're working through? I, so I'm launching my first book. I've never launched a book before. I don't know anything about a book launch. And the biggest thing on my mind is how can I look back at this time and not have any regrets that I didn't go big enough? Mm. You know, like how do I have the coolest book launch party? How do I have the greatest launch on book day? How can I do the most clubhouses and podcasts and connect with the most people and share my story? And it's like, I did a book, which is really freaking crazy. I can't believe I did a book. That's insane. Like, it's like, now how do I get this message across and help raise the vibration of the planet? You know? Mm. And it's, and it's not that it's a conflict. I look at it from a place of curiosity. And I think that's actually really good advice to share. It's like in, people that have conflicts or something they're dealing with right now, rather than thinking like as a problem, like, oh my gosh, how do I solve this problem? Because I don't think life is a problem to solve. I think it's an experience to be had. And if you look at your, what you call conflicts coming from a place of curiosity, yeah, right, it really lightens the load of it and it opens up avenues in your mind to think creatively and find new solutions that you wouldn't have thought of if you're coming from a place of fear. Yeah, that's that's brilliant. And I just want to note how that applies not only to our personal projects and the things we're doing, but also to our relationships. And when totally. when we are curious with someone, especially someone who comes from a different walk of life or identity or perspective than us, we actually have an opportunity to build respect and rapport and grow together and have healthy conflict versus not having curiosity and shutting down or, or, or not seeing the opportunity to to build a relationship. So yeah, that, that applies in so many contexts. That's, that's brilliant. 
Well, thank you. What was the process like for writing writing the book? Like, just uh, how did you get it done? Because you said it was it was a big achievement, obviously, just to to write the book itself. How did you you know sit down and focus and and make it happen? Yeah. So I've, I've you know one thing that I did do well in my journey of self awakening and awareness, and in you know my my peak business days when I was doing very well financially, I've always been really good at keeping good notes. And so I had all of these notes and these insights and these ideas and these takeaways and these aha moments that were kind of just scrambled. And I, I just knew in my meditations, when I would meditate, you know, I have a very, a very deliberate special meditation practice where I do feel like I'm divinely guided from the universe and I get these intuitive hits and we all get intuitive hits. And it was very much like, okay, it's time to do a book. And I'm like, I am not a writer at all. I'm not, I don't, I'm like, it doesn't get me fired up. I don't get downloads when I'm writing, but I have all kind of these scattered notes. And so what I actually did is I hired a professional ghostwriter. Wow. Someone who has written best-selling books. I'm like, okay, if I'm going to do a book, I'm going to do a book. Mm -hmm. So I got this book deal and then I worked with a professional ghostwriter who would interview me for hours. And so, I mean, obviously the, all the words in my book are my words, but she would take my sentences and just like make it flow better and organize it. And then we would, you know, we got on the whiteboard and we organized, okay, here's all the chapters here that are going to tie into each other. So we had a really strong outline and then we would get on the phone and I would just start talking just like this. And I would tell stories and this is what I would learn. And then she would make it eloquent and make it sound and make it tie in and make it very readable. Um, and so I definitely, I needed all the help I could get because me sitting down and putting you know, pen to paper, it just wasn't happening. I really appreciate you sharing that you worked with a ghostwriter and there's something in engaging someone who you know is a professional and knows, you know, how to do something maybe yeah. that you don't have a principal skill set in to help you and support you. Is that something that you've always known, you know, is the right move or how did you get to that conclusion that that was the right path? No, I think it's something I learned in my business days that I was like, okay, I realized I'm really, really good at like three things and everything else I'm not good at, but what I'm not good <laughs> at, there's someone in the world who's really, really, really good at it. Right. And so I know that I don't have all the answers. I know that there's a lot of things I'm actually really bad at. And so I sit on my strength and I'm like, I know that there's someone who's really, and so I love asking for help. And wow. I think really you know, going back to it, I have no problem asking for help because, and to tie it back into the, into the point of this, of this clubhouse is that because I love myself, like your opinion, my value as a human being isn't dependent upon your opinion of me. So I don't care if I, if I say something that's silly or dumb, it's just silly or dumb. Like it won't affect my self-worth. And so I'm very confident in asking for help. And what I've realized in asking for help in all areas of my life People like to give help, mm. you know, people think about if your friend, if your dearest friend came to you and asked for help, you would jump out of your seat to go help them. And yeah. that's true for a, a lot of, a lot of us in all of our situations. And so anytime I feel off or I need a little advice or help, I've learned through practice that ask for help actually is the best thing to do. And there's no shame in doing so. Yeah, that's that's really great advice, and it's not easy always for some. So for myself, I'll say, I've had a yeah. real hard time asking for help at times, especially in things that I used to be able to do for myself, um, and then in you know in getting sick, maybe needing more support. Mm. Um, yeah, and that can be really emotional and challenging. But recognizing it's okay 
letting go and allowing folks to help you and, and asking for it when you need it is, is incredibly powerful. Um, so yeah, thank you for that. Yeah. So we're, we're going to jump into questions from the audience shortly. Um, and I, I see a couple of hands raised and I invite others to start raising hands and think of questions that they want to ask Doug. But before we do, um, this is the Love Extremist Club. You know, we're using intense language here, much like your book. What would you say you're an extremist for? I am an extremist for experience. Right. I love new experiences. I love seeing new places, trying new foods, having new sensations. Like I like to think, like I said earlier, that my life is I'm a 12 year old kid at Disneyland. Right. And that's my whole human experience. So I want to maximize my human experience. So I'm an extremist for saying yes, saying yes to the new adventure. Is there an experience that you're you've recently said yes to or something you're looking forward to that's coming up? Yeah. So this book launch party that I'm throwing a book launch party on August 10th and everyone's invited. I don't care. Anyone can come. It's in okay. Utah on August Excellent. 10th, but um, yeah, everyone's full invite, but it was like, you know, some ideas we're getting where people are like, yeah, go big, go big, hire, you know, spend the money, do this. And I'm like, Oh, this is really intense. I've never thrown like a big party before with entertainers and music and events and fog machines and, you know, fireworks and all this stuff. And it was like, Oh, that's going to be a really cool experience of throwing a really badass party. Cause I've never done something at that scale before. Yeah. That's really cool. So I'm stoked. That's really August cool. 10th. And I, I imagine yeah. you asked for some help to, to make that happen. <laughs> oh, I, I hired four event coordinators. Oh my gosh. Amazing. Cause Amazing. it was like, I don't know how to, I don't know how to throw this type of event. So let's just get everyone in their, in their genius and do it together. Yeah. Wow. Cool. Well, that sounds great. All right, everyone, we're meeting in, on August 10th in Utah. We're going to have a, a party with Doug. That's, that's great. Um, Ashe, welcome to the stage. What's your question for Doug? Yeah, my question for Doug is, what's his take on love in today's uh, generation? Uh, looking at uh, past and today's generation, what is the difference? What's the difference? I, in I think what I heard was how has love evolved? Difference in 19th and 2021. What is what kind of generation difference he sees in love? Yeah. So what do I see in a generational difference between the 90s and and today? Yeah. 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 Good question. I think. Um, I mean. That's a hard question to answer because I know everyone's experience is different, but what seems to be relevant is how the younger generation is seeking love from external validation, right? It's how many followers do you have on TikTok? And, you know, it's crazy. I actually had this conversation with a friend yesterday. She's from New Zealand and um, she moved to America recently. And she realized like one thing that was so shocking in today's time is like how many girls get like, filler in their lips or get Botox and whatnot. And what really people are asking for is external validation. So they feel the love. And so I think one thing, especially from the nineties today, to answer your question, the biggest difference is because everyone has a platform. Now everyone has social media, everyone sees what everyone else is doing. We are falling into this comparison game and falling into seeking validation from social media. And I think that's the biggest difference I, I, I've noticed. How do we, 
just to piggyback on that, how do you think we can be better at mm, being mindful of that and maybe having a little more uh, sovereignty over that influence? Because it it's challenging as soon as we sign on to any application or platform. Yeah, there is that question of influence or impact or how we're relating to others. What are your recommendations? Yeah, that, that's yeah. My recommendation is this pretty simple: is when you're about to post something, ask yourself, "Am I posting this for me, or am I posting this so other people will see it?" And I like to think of my social media as like my personal journal, and I pretend I have zero followers. And I'm like, okay, what pictures do I want to post so when I look back at this, I can remember this fun moment with this fun caption. And I think if you take it with that intention of like, this is this is for me and my for my eyes and for my memories, rather than okay, I need to post a specific picture and edit it this way and have this caption so X and X person will see it. You know, there's a big difference between those two. Yeah, that is powerful. I I have a couple of thoughts because. Um... I realized in the nineties, you know, the commercial internet was just beginning and so much of our time was mm. being spent in physical space together. Right. And we didn't have these virtual yeah. opportunities to connect yeah. and in engaging in physical space, there was a texture of connection, a texture of just engagement that is still available to us, but it may not be our first pass, right? We have the opportunity to text or to phone or to FaceTime or to zoom. And especially during the pandemic, we've had to do that. And in some cases, that's fantastic because we have this amazing opportunity to use these technologies. And in other cases, we're losing the texture of connection. Um, and totally. so I think that just shifts. It's not like a right or wrong, a good or bad. I recognize in many cases, these technologies have actually supported a lot of people who may be neurodivergent or have you know different experiences of the world around them. And the, the sensitivity of being out in public is too much. Um, so I think we need to honor that everyone's experience is different, but I do, I do recognize love has evolved since that time in the context of how we connect as humans and communities. And it sounds like a lot of the experiences that you went through, Doug, to kind of come to your current consciousness around daily shifts and integration and self-love required you to kind of leave technology behind in many senses. Would you agree? Yeah, and I would say really creating a different relationship with it, right? In the past, it was, you know, for those that followed me along in the mid-2000s when I was on my, you know, business train, it was, I was posting pictures at every sporting event, and, like, I would be at the Alabama-Auburn college football game, then I'm at the Super Bowl, then I'm at Pittsburgh at the Steelers game, and it was very much a show. And it wasn't necessarily that I needed to get off of my social, but I would change the intention. What is it for? And so instead of looking at it as a way to seek validation, I would look at, Technology is a way to gain new information, right? And to post things because it sparked joy within me. And so my relationship with it absolutely did change. Yeah, I think there's an, another element there, which is seeing these technologies as tools and right. using them as such, right? For me, I, I think I approach them as a kind of a creator and a creative. And so it's like, for, it, it's less of a journal, but I think I think that has a great utility as well. It's more of kind of a, a, a platform to use to create and to share what we're creating. Yeah. And it, you certainly, you can take advantage of that as being on clubhouse or Instagram or wherever you, you promote your work. Do you have a big separation between kind of the daily shifts brand and your book brand and your personal identity is that, are those two separate things? I have no idea what's going on, right? I'm literally just like in exploration mode trying to figure it out. And I know one thing that I did know that when I started the daily shifts 
is I knew that it wasn't going to be what I thought it was going to be. And one of my superpowers, and I talk about this in my book, is that I feel like I have a very strong relationship with my intuition. And when my intuition tells me to jump, I'll jump. And so I'm really just movement is life here. And I'm creating this book and I'm creating daily shifts and I'm presenting it out in this world. And I know that as long as I stay in integrity with myself and stay committed to the higher path, the universe will guide me and direct me in a way where all of this will make sense. And so I'm not really trying to categorize any of these or create separation between them all. I'm just out here expressing myself and seeing where it's, where it's going to hit. Wow. Cool. I love that. Leonora, welcome to the stage. Welcome to this conversation. What question do you have for Doug? Hi, Doug. Um, Hello. <laughs> I've really been enjoying hearing about this. Um, my question is, is about uh, six months ago, I did a big transition in my life and became a vegan and mm -hmm. lost a lot of weight. And I had like the spiritual awakening. And, um, you know, I work... Uh, started my nonprofit, just so many things, you know, and, but I found myself in the last month and a half, um, I started eating unhealthy again. You know, I've been feeling the difference in my body and yet I'm in this pivotal point where, you know, I know I, what I need to do, but I've fallen in like this place of depression that it's like, like I used to get up in the morning, go work out five days a week haven't worked out for almost a month and yet I can't seem to get myself out of this depression to go back to do what I know what works for me and I'm trying yeah. to work with that within myself because like I said I was feeling great eating healthy losing weight going out dancing you know just all these things I hadn't done in a long time but that's just my question is like you know it's been such a yo-yo with my weight. It's been a yo-yo trying to figure out new ways of living. And, and yet in this last month, I've, I've been feeling this down and depression that, yeah. that I, I just can't seem to like, I, I got to get up in the morning. I can get up in the morning, but yet I'm sleeping in, <laughs> you know? So no, I totally, I totally relate with that because I remember in my, in my, and thank you for being vulnerable and sharing um, in 2018, I totally re resonated with that. I was very depressed. I was very low. And one thing that I, the way I really started, because what happens is like you have this big mountain in front of you. It's like, I need to be vegan. I need to go work out. I need to start my nonprofit. I need it. And it's like this daunting um, challenge you're trying to overcome and it can be paralyzing. And so what I would do is I realized I was so low is I would journal prompt. And all I would write is this. I would say the best thing I could do for myself today is blank. And some days it would be the best thing I can do for myself is get out of bed. And if I do that, it's a win. And other days it's like the best thing I could do for myself today is eat a healthy meal and work out and meditate, you know, and it's just a longer list. And so it's, it's being gracious with where you are in your life while also just taking it one day at a time. Right. Mm -hmm. And don't worry about the past. Like you can't change what happened yesterday. You can't change how you ate this morning. You can't change that you haven't been to the gym in five months. Right. And moving forward, right, you might get back on the train. You're probably going to fall off again, 100%. I know I'm going to screw up again in the future. Everyone's going to screw up again in the future. But it's giving yourself the grace and understanding that's okay. So you just restart and just ask yourself, what's the number one best thing I could do for myself today? And if you do that enough times, you build enough momentum that things that all of your cylinders will start hitting. And so don't be so hard on yourself and just start, start really, really, really small. 
I love that. Thank you so much. I love You're that. Welcome. Yeah, thank yeah. you, Leonora. That, that was a great question and um, makes me think about patience and forgiveness and two big lessons I learned around self-love, around just having patience to recognize sometimes it's a day at a time or two steps forward and one step back. Mm. And, um, and, and, and having that recognition that, you know, we have to forgive ourselves. Maybe we mess up. And if we, you yeah. know, the more we push, you know, and get, get mad at ourselves, the harder it is to get out of that hole. So allowing ourselves to forgive and move forward and, and, and not let the past kind of weigh us down is, is so important. Mm -hmm. So thank Yeah. It was a great, great perspective. Yeah, thank you. Share. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're, we're coming to the top of the hour here, but I really would love to hear kind of what else is on your mind and, and what wisdom you'd like to impart to the love extremist community. And, um, yeah, what, what you'd like to share as we, as we come away from this conversation. Yeah, I would just say, you know, that I truly believe that being human is the ultimate gift. Like we already hit the lottery and, and if you want to download the first chapter of my book, where I talk a lot about you know, the probability of being alive in this cosmic perspective. My, the, the first chapter of my book is available for free right now on thedailyshifts.com. Um, and I want to share with you to just like being alive is improbable. Like the fact that we're even here is insane. The scientific probability of it happening is like 600 trillion to one or some crazy number. And we get so stuck and we feel anxiety and we feel depression because we because life is not happening the way we think it's supposed to, right? That's why we feel off is because life isn't unfolding the way we think it should. And so my message is if you can really cultivate this deep cosmic perspective that we even get to be alive and then dive into your stories and remove those blockages that are holding you back, you know, and remove those, those blockages over our heart and step into the truest highest versions of ourselves, you get to experience a life full of, enthusiasm and joy and a deep rich richness that you haven't experienced before. And so I hope that my book and my messaging and the daily shifts will really just be inspiration for you to start doing your own work, because I know there's such a beautiful life that awaits when you're willing to do the work. And on that note too, um, I'm not Instagram famous or anything. And I have a, you know, some free time. So if you have questions, feel free to DM me on Instagram at Doug underscore Carwright. And I usually answer every single DM. Um, and I'm just here to kind of inspire you to start your own journey to find the light for yourself. Mm, I love that. And really appreciate you making yourself accessible. Everyone follow Doug here. Definitely check him out on Instagram. Um, and check out the daily shifts.com. It sounds like uh, great access to the book and early the first chapter and and the insights that you're sharing um really really powerful and just so appreciative of you coming here and and sharing what you've learned and and what you're working through it really resonates with me and a lot of the conversations we have in this community um for all of you who haven't yet um, please join us in the Love Extremist Club. You can hit that little head uh, house above my head, excuse me, and um, we'll bring you in. And we're constantly having conversations like this about what matters, about prioritizing life and finding ways to discover self-love and cultivate that in our daily lives and beyond. And um, yeah, Doug, this has been really inspiring and uh, you're really... I'm, I'm lit up from the conversation. So <laughs> great, grateful to you for your work and um, excited to see how it flourishes and how this party kicks things off to the next level. 
Amazing. Thank you, Ethan. I really appreciate you having me. Absolutely. All right, everyone. Well, take good care. Have a beautiful rest of your day. And definitely check out Doug's work and the Daily Shifts. And we'll see you next time in the Love Extremist Club. Adios. Thanks for listening to Love Extremist Radio. If you like this podcast, please leave a rating and review on iTunes. If you want to learn more about being a love extremist, check out www.extremist.love and follow Love Extremist on Instagram and Facebook. Find me also on Instagram at Ethan Lipsitz. Hope to hear from you soon. Peace. Love is the truth. Love is the truth. Love is the truth.